me immediately kind of just follow up with John's words as he led us into prayer about the relief efforts through the United Methodist Committee on Relief. We've had a number of phone calls this week to the office uh, asking, you know, what's going on and, and what can we do. As, as you know, and, and John mentions, there's a humanitarian crisis going on there in the, in the northern islands of the Bahamas. Right now, what we're being told through the United Methodist Committee on Relief, and if you're newer with us, this is our um, kind of relief um, agency and, and responding agency through the, the United Methodist Church, uh, the greatest need right now is financial contributions. It is very difficult to get um, material things into the islands right now. They're still assessing what the needs are. I mean, it is, as you've seen the images, it's complete um, destruction and loss of property and even more tragic loss of life. Now, there are some groups that are collecting physical um, materials, and, and if you feel led to support that, that's, that's fine. I don't discourage that in any way. But right now, what we're being told, and you may have even seen on the news, is it's very hard for to get those things into the islands right now. In fact, some of the, um, the, the agencies in the Bahamas, the life-saving um, agencies were asking people not to come because it was actually getting in the way of, of the immediate work and, and life-saving efforts that are going on. So, so right now, that is the, the, the greatest way that we can contribute. Now, as many of you know, but if you're newer with us, you may not, um, that we, are co- we constantly are open to receiving donations to the United Methodist Committee on Relief. So that means if you would like to give to the relief efforts, you just need to make sure that any donations are marked either UMCOR, United Methodist Committee on Relief, or Hurricane Relief. And, and I say this every year, so some of you I know are like, yeah, we've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again. Every penny of every dollar given goes to relief efforts. We do not take anything out of that, nor does the United Methodist Committee on Relief. It doesn't go to administration. That's funded other places. It goes to relief efforts. So if you would like to do that, and that's going to be an ongoing thing. That's not going to be this week, next week. This is going to be a long process. And as they start to mobilize for physical needs, for things that can be physically or um, material needs that can be donated, we will make those, and I will certainly get word to you and let you know so we can respond to this need the way we have to other needs and, and as John said, live out being the body of Christ as faithfully as we can. So that is, that's what's going on right now, and, and continue uh, to keep that in prayer. It's, it's beyond um, imagination for, for most, if, if not all of us. So we, we, just, uh, we do pray for that and want to continue to to seek God's leading as we want to be faithful to responding to needs there. So that is, uh, that's one of the kind of the prayer requests and opportunities this morning. If you have any questions about that, find me after worship. I'll be glad to, to go a little further into that if you need to. Um, I do want to share a joy as well, a celebration. And let me see, where are they? Where are they? John and May, they're in the back. John and May, Rambo back there who serve, and many of you know John and May, uh, this Thursday... Thursday, they celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. So, um, which for John is a testimony to patience and love. Uh, 
I have to tease May. That's the kind of relationship we have. No, blessings to, uh, to both of them. I said in the first service we were going to give John a medal. I was going to have him come up. Those of you who remember Star Wars, the very first Star Wars movie, The Last Hope, the scene where Luke Skywalker and Chewbacca and Han Solo come up and get medaled, which we should have had John do. He should have walked down the aisle and put a medal on him. So I'm, I'm digging the hole deeper with May, so I better stop. Um, you know, in, in both of these, yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yep, it is. And with all this other stuff going on, it is, it is the remembrance of 9-11. So keep that um, in your prayers, especially the ongoing health issues of many of those first responders. And that's been in the news. And we, you know, sometimes time, we, we kind of get distance from that. But keep, because a lot of those health, um, the, the things that those men and women are dealing with who, who were on site are just now coming to full um, and, and have been. And so, yeah, thank you. We want to continue to keep that in our prayers as well. All of this, the, the joy and the need, kind of, kind of starts to really present a, a wonderful uh, segue into this morning's message and really what will be a series of messages these next few weeks titled Life Together, a series that really has been birthed uh, very organically. And when I say that, I mean I didn't sit down to write a sermon series I actually just sat down to start working on this week's message. And this week's message and the text took me to, to Matthew 18, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But it deals with, I think, one of the challenges of, of being the church, of living in relationship to each other. And um, as I was starting to work on that, I was looking ahead to next week. And next week's, to give you a little preview, uh, will take us to James, the letter of James, which deals with the, the danger and the, the taming the tongue which I think also speaks to one of the challenges of being in relationships. So I started to see this theme. And so through conversation, I decided for a few weeks we're going to explore both the, 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 the challenges and the opportunity that God gives us as the church, what it means to, to be the church and to be this community of believers that, that are united and sometimes not so united um, together, and how do, we, how do we weather some of the, the difficulties as, so that we can be as positioned as we can to be the instruments that God's called us to be, to grow in faith and to have an impact and to do the things that show the church at its very best. Because what um, makes the church so powerful is also what makes it so challenging. I mean, the, the blessing, uh, one of the blessings God gives us is each other. We are meant to be a blessing to each other. I mean, look around the room. Look at the people sitting to the left and right of you. Say, you're a blessing. You are a blessing to each other. Okay? And what also makes it so difficult is the people that we're sitting next to. Because the blessing can sometimes, and I use this lightheartedly, can be the curse. What makes the church so difficult are the people sitting next to you. Look at them and say, you make this hard. All right? See, now, it's sad how more excited you got about that part. But, but it is, it is the, the, the challenge that we, we live into, but we're called to. John Wesley, in his journals, he writes of a conversation with the, a serious man. We don't even know who the serious man was. But he said to him, he said, if you want to follow God and, and go to heaven... Uh, you can't do this alone. You need to find companions or you need to make them. 
And then the, the line that, is, uh, that I've quoted before and you may have heard before is often attributed to Wesley is, is the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. It, it's never meant to be lived in isolation. There are times we, I wish it was. It would be a lot easier sometimes if it could just be me and God, you and God. But, but that's not the way that God designed it. And so he's called us into relationship with him, but also with relationship with each other. And that is both a wonderful opportunity and sometimes a great, great challenge. So we're going to kind of explore that for a few weeks together. And we're going to start here in Matthew 18. And we're going to start with these words of of wisdom, words of insight that Jesus gives us in, in dealing with one of the challenges of life together, and that's conflict. How do, we, how do we deal when um, we love each other, but we don't like each other very much? I, I, I said, we're all called to love each other, but the truth is sometimes in moments we don't always like each other. And, and how do we begin to kind of work through that? And so this, this, just these three verses are often described as dealing with um, church discipline, but, but I think it's more interpersonal um, relationships. And how do, we, how do we navigate that? So, just three verses in Matthew 18, beginning at verse 15. And, and this is, the NIV translates this first phrase like this. It says, if your brother or sister sins, and it kind of comma, and it goes on. Let me, let me pause for a moment. This is the one time, in hindsight, I, I should have used a different translation. I love the NIV, but I think they dropped the ball on this one. Because many of your translations, and, and uh, based on other manuscripts and getting into issues of translations that we don't have time for right now, but, but many of your translations, I think, are a little more um, precise in how this is translated. If your brother or sister sins against you, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a few moments, but your brother and sister sins against you, continuing, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. (laughs) It's funny, they laughed at 8.15 at that part too. We'll talk about that. Friends, let's pray. Gracious Lord, this is your word, and we are thankful for it. But help us to hear, help us to hear, be challenged, changed, shaped into the people that you've called us to be. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Christ Jesus. Amen. It's a piece of technology that doesn't even gather, gain our attention anymore. We take it for granted. It's common. It's... Um, Second nature, if you will. But some of you may remember, maybe you can kind of pull from your memory banks in the early days of early days, the early days, the early days of smartphones or tablets, and this cutting-edge technology at the time that that allowed you to do something that again doesn't seem like that big a deal. But if you were reading something, I know you can't read the words, but you'll get you'll get the point. In fact, maybe if I go this way, that if I take a tablet or a phone. And I do this. I sure hope it did it. Okay. I can't see it, so it would ruin the point. But it immediately 
writes itself, right? If I do this, does it go sideways? It writes itself. <coughs> Whatever way I hold the device or the phone, it stays in a, if you will, if you allow me to kind of play this out, a proper relationship to me. It allows me to stay in a way that I don't have to turn my head sideways to read it. That's because within the device is a gyroscope that just orients it. And there's gyroscopes and I think accelerometers that, that gauge steps and things like that that allows the device, if you will, to, to stay properly aligned, to pro- be properly aligned. And I think about that and, and, and that kind of image and illustration to kind of speak about what grace does. God's, God's grace over and for us keeps us in an invitation that allows us to stay rightfully aligned with God. When we fall short, when we sin, when we stray, and we do, God's grace is, is that invitation back into that right relationship. It's, it's, a, it's a gyroscoping grace that, that sets, us, um, sets us right in that connection with our, with our Heavenly Father. It's the, the prodigal son that's embraced when he comes home again. And, and that, be, that speaks to this, this nature of who God is. In fact, right before the scripture that I read this morning, right before these verses in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus tells the, the parable of, of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one. And it's meant to be a little crazy. It's a parable. It's meant to say there's no logical sense in that. Why would you leave 99 to go chase one? But, but Jesus wants to say that's, the, that's the, the nature of God's grace. That's the, the pursuing nature, the consuming nature of God's love for us that, that constantly wants to bring us back into right relationship. And so this speaks to that, that vertical nature of our relationship with God. But then he moves into this next part of his teaching. And, and as I kind of play that out, it begins to deal with the challenge of what happens when the hundred sheep are back together. You know, Jesus talks about bringing the, the lost sheep back into the fold. We're the sheep. We're all brought back into the fold from time to time. But then how do we begin to, to wrestle with the dynamic nature, the challenging nature of the way that we relate to each other, the way that we get along? Because I said it a little lightheartedly, but the reality is that um, this can be very hard. Us, together, can be incredibly challenging. Uh, the, the statement has been made before, and I don't even know by who, but, but somewhere along the lines, it, somebody said, the church was perfect until God gave it to us, right? And, and what is one of our strengths, and we'll talk about those strengths of, of, of community and, being in, and sharing life together, also is sometimes what makes church so hard. Because when you bring people together together, in community, any community, any group, um, there will be tension, there will be friction, there will be disagreements, there will be hurt feelings, there will be some level of harm occasionally caused. That's not an excuse, but it's a reality. I, my challenge this morning, I've, I'll lay it out the first service, I'll lay it out of the next service, is for anybody to come tell me an organization you've been a part of that includes more than just you where there has not been tension, friction, or occasional hurt. 
If that is, I want to know, and it doesn't count if you just started it five minutes ago. It has to have been going for a while. Because that's, that, is, that is a reality of, of life together. And that's not unique to the church. It's, in fact, I really do think, sometimes we tend to be really critical of the church, and there's areas we need to be really, really, really critical. But I think as a whole, we, we're stronger than a lot of other human organizations. I think we do come together and try to love each other, but we don't always do it well. So how do we begin to, to own that? How do we begin to, to deal with that conflict that sometimes is inevitable? I, I say to, to couples when I'm sitting down and they're, they're um, preparing to get married and they're looking at each other with stars in their eyes. And, and I say the gift of marriage, the, the best of what God designed marriage to be is that the two of you in this relationship, nobody will love you as well as he will. Nobody will love you as passionately as she will. That's, that's the best. And they go, oh, of course. <laughs> and then I go, but, but, hear me say this. Nobody will hurt you the way he will hurt you. Nobody will hurt you the way she will hurt you. And they go, oh, no, not us. It never happened. And the point is, I'm not, I'm not trying to, 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 to kind of put, throw a wet blanket on love. But the reality is that when we give ourselves to people in any kind of relationship, we make ourselves vulnerable. That you have to. And because we are us, when we make ourselves vulnerable, even though I don't think, I'm, my intention isn't to say that, that anybody's ever going to intentionally harm another person. But sometimes it happens. Harsh words are spoken. Anger bubbles to the surface. And it gets the best of us. So how do we begin to, to deal with that? Especially in the community of Christ, in the gathering that, that we call the church. The, the, the writer of Proverbs says in 10.12 that, that hatred stirs up strife. But, but that um, love is covers all wrongs. Hatred or stirs up strife or anger or, or resentment. It stirs up strife. It basically exacerbates problems. But love covers a multitude of, of wrongs. I, I saw a, a video recently. How, how many of you are familiar with the name Caesar Milan? Okay. What's, who, what's his nickname? The Dog Whisperer. Caesar Milan is the Dog Whisperer, and you may have seen. I don't know if his show is still on or not. They used to have a show on one of the, the cable channels, and, and he wrote a book years ago when Tony and I became dog owners for the first time. I read The Dog Whisperer so that I could rein in my dogs, and it didn't work. And it wasn't because it was bad advice. It was it was it was poor execution on my part. But I was. Um, I, I came across an episode of The Dog Whisperer, and it caught my attention because it was a German shepherd, and, and up until last year when we lost our, our dog, uh, you know, that we, we had a German shepherd, and so I just love shepherds, and, and so I'm watching this, but this was uh, dealing with this and some others dealing with very aggressive dogs, and, and so Caesar Milan's given advice and coaching how to deal with this aggressive dog, but and, and it wasn't just the shepherd, it was some other dogs as well. But, but the advice wasn't to the dog, it was to the dog owners. And said so that some dogs and some breeds by their very nature, that when they get agitated 
And then you get agitated, they get more agitated. And your anger or frustration feeds their anger or frustration. Their aggression gets fed by your aggression. So he was coaching the dog owners and saying, don't meet the aggression with aggression. You have got to remain calm. You've got to, don't elevate, but de-escalate the issues. Because when you do that, it will start to diffuse this situation and this kind of fire burning within this, this animal. And, and, I, and I thought about that in, as, a, as a personal application. And that is the fact that there's very often when we read this, that, that what Jesus, I think, is saying to us, what Jesus desires of us is that we not escalate. That too often when, when there is tension and there's friction, we tend to fan the flames unintentionally or intentionally. And what, what God's word says to us and, and what Jesus wants us to do is to, to meet that strife Meet that tension, meet that anger with love and begin to change the dynamics. So the question then becomes, how, how do we begin to, to do that? How do we begin to meet this, um, you know, uh, the, the, to meet this with a love that, that covers all kinds of, of wrongdoings? That's later echoed in 1 Peter 4.8, same kind of verse. Don't stir it up, but, but diffuse it a little bit. And the first, the first thing that I want to say, and this is the important part of kind of qualifying the translation I read this morning, is that Jesus says, if someone sins against you. Let's start with that. This is personal. This is relational. Why do I think that's important? Because sometimes we become very zealous in finding the sin in others. I've talked about this before. Sometimes, and we can use verses to say, well, it is my job to go find sin in the church. And I promise you, if you want to find it, you will not have to look very far at any of us or all of us. And there certainly is a time that it is appropriate in love and grace to, to call out sin. Not to call it out, but to confront it in a, in a personal and a loving and compassionate way that seeks to bring restoration but that's not what this is. Jesus says, if, if someone sins against you, and he starts to give advice that, that, that the intention and the hope is to bring restoration. Keep in mind, that's the goal of all, is to win a brother or a sister back, to, to, to restore and to heal a relationship. So, so we start with, this isn't a general, let's go find things that people do wrong. This is dealing with our relationships and our connections to people. And what do we do when harm is caused, hurt is experienced, we feel wronged or, or mistreated or whatever that may be. And the first thing Jesus says there in verse 15 is the admonition to go, to go. And that's the most important step, and I believe it is the step that we so often miss or we intentionally overlook. Go. Go to the person who has committed the offense against you. See, here's our problem. We go, but we go in the opposite direction. This is how we often go. John does something to offend me. John does something that, offend, that makes me angry. John does something to hurt my feelings. Well, I'm going to go. You know where I'm going to go? I'm going to go to Dawn. And I'm going to say, Dawn, can you believe what John did to me? 
And I'm going to go to Brad. I'm going to say, Brad, can you believe what John has done to me? And I'm going to go home to Tony. I'm going to say, Tony, I am so angry that John has done this to me. And I am building this coalition of people to get on my team so that we can all be mad at John. Because John's a big jerk. Right? Right? Because I'm gone. Sorry, John. Um, But that's how we go. But here's the problem. In all of that, you know who I haven't talked to? John. I haven't talked to John. Jesus, Jesus is very, very directly saying to us, go to the person who has committed the offense against you. That's very hard for us to do. You know why? Because that's an uncomfortable conversation. And that may cause friction. And that may cause tension. And that may cause a little bit of um, difficult conversation. And you know what? None of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. I'll tell you what is harmful is what I was describing a moment ago when I start going to Brad and Tony and Dawn and, and everyone else. She says, go. Go to the person that has caused the hurt feelings. Go to the person that has created or that you feel that has wronged you. Because here's what I believe, that if we just follow this one step, just this one step, a majority of our conflict would be resolved. A majority of our conflict would be resolved in the willingness to have conversations. Because we need, even when we're upset with each other, to care about each other. Why is it so destructive for me to go tell everybody else about my anger toward John? Because I'm undermining his witness. I'm undermining his reputation. Before we've had a chance to even have a conversation about it. And what I'm doing is I'm creating additional fires. I'm creating additional fires. Let me tell you how I experienced this years ago. I was in, in, in the church that I was serving, was having a conversation with a bunch of people. We were doing something at the church on a Saturday, and I was joking around, as I tend to do. Those of you that know me know that I, I, I tend to tease and, you know, and, and back and forth with people. And, and I, I thought I had that kind of a relationship with one of the volunteers, and I really thought we had a good, fun relationship. And I teased her, and I hurt her feelings. Didn't mean to. Didn't want to, but I did. And I had to own that. I needed to own that. But I didn't know I had done it. Until the next morning, when I came in before church and I listened to my voicemails. Always a mistake to do that before church. And I had four messages from different people in the church that all said to me, we can't believe you did that to so-and-so. We can't believe that you were so mean to so-and-so. And I thought to myself, I can't believe I did it either. I don't know what I did. But I knew I'd done something. So long story short, I needed to find her. And I needed to apologize to her. And I did. And you know what happened? We hugged it out. We made up. She accepted my apology. She accepted that I had no, you know, again, I had done it. I didn't mean to. I didn't think I had, but it doesn't matter. I had. And we reconciled. But you know what the problem was now? I had four other people to go have to reconcile with. I had to go put out four more fires and additional because now the conversation was gaining traction. So now the person who I had wronged had forgiven me. 
Now we had reconciled and, and made peace with this experience, and I had a whole bunch of other fires burning that I had to go because, and I'm not trying to make myself a victim. It was, I stepped in it. It was my goof. But it got exacerbated by the fact that the person I'd wronged didn't come to me but went to everybody else. Now, is that an isolated thing? I wish it was. I wish it was. But they're called parking lot committees for a reason, you know? We go out, we take these conversations out, and we begin to engage everybody. But Jesus implies right here that we go alone. You know, we we begin to try to sow the seeds of, of reconciliation before we begin to engage others. Then the process begins to plant. If that doesn't work, then Jesus says, then gather two or three leaders of the church, people of, 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 of wisdom, of insight. Gather them to help them come and be a part of the process. And let me say this to you. If you do that, and you should, be prepared. They may tell you what you do not want to hear. I will tell you part of the gift and blessing and difficulty of getting wise counsel is wise counsel may step into the story and say, well, Chris, you know what? You're not quite the victim you think you are. You know, Chris, you may be a little um, guilty here of, of some of this, but begins to mediate, to begins to work or, or begins to work to, to bring some, some reconciliation and to begin to work toward some healing in such a way that, um, that begins to, to restore community. And then the last step is if that fails, is, is that kind of statement that we giggle at where Jesus says, you know, you treat them as a pagan or tax collector. And really what that means is the relationship gets broken. The relationship gets to a point where the two, it can't be restored. And I wish that wasn't the case. I wish I could say, well, if you do step one, you'll never get to step three. But there are times when relationships don't heal. And, and relationships don't, um, aren't able to, 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 to come back together, if you will. But, but I, I say to you, not to gloss over step two or step three. But to say that in my experience... In ministry, my experience in um, some of the, the messes I make in my own life and some of the things I see that we deal with in the church is that when we start with step one, it's rather uncommon that step two and three becomes necessary because we begin to sow the seeds of, of healing and, and reconciliation, of listening and, and talking to each other face to face rather than the wildfires that start to circle the problem. And the community and the relationships can begin to heal. That's, that's what, what grace looks like. You know, it's not that you will never be wronged or harmed. But the challenge for us is to live in such a way together that we begin to share the very grace that we receive. Because the truth is, not one of us stands before God having not been disobedient. As, as the scriptures say, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us stands before God and goes, whew, God, I'm glad I've never messed up. Glad I've never gotten this wrong. We celebrate. We, we are washed in a grace, that grace that restores us into the relationship. Our challenge is to be able to extend that grace to each other. 
Our challenge is to begin to live that in such a way that the grace that we so freely celebrate is that grace that we freely give. And sometimes the hardest people to give grace to are the people that are closest to us. People that are closest to us. So the challenge for us to be the community that God calls us to be, to to live into the maximum potential as the church, the gathering in Christ is for us to begin to deal with those harder realities of life together to deal with them face to face, and to freely give the grace that we so thankfully receive. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, that we would live into this. And it is, it is very, very difficult. We acknowledge that. And we are frail. And sometimes we, we feel the sting of hurts. And sometimes, if we're honest, we've inflicted the sting of hurt. Help us to live face-to-face in relationship, to to find grace, and to to have the tough conversations that allow us to heal and reconcile. That's the way of Christ. It's the example of Christ. Help it to be the way of your church. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.